Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Making Sense of Mayo. My name is Maddie Metcalf, and I'll be your SpeechTherapyPD.com host for this podcast. Before we get started, we have a few items to alert you to. This episode is 60 minutes and will be offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Shar Boshar will be our guest this evening, and she'll share some practical tips for treatment of speech and swallowing disorders from a myofunctional perspective. Char receives an honorarium as a guest of this podcast. In addition, through Speech Therapy PD, she also receives honorariums for her video courses, deep dive courses, and is the host of the Speech Link podcast. She owns Speech Dynamics Incorporated, where she offers several practical books, audios, articles, and blogs. She has no relevant non-financial disclosures. As for myself, I receive an honorarium for hosting this podcast, and I do not have any relevant non-financial disclosures. We'll be taking questions and answers throughout the presentation, and then we'll also have a Q&A at the end. So if I don't get to it during the course, we will circle back around to it. Now, without further ado, I welcome Shar Boshart to this episode of Making Sense of Mayo. Shar is a speech-language pathologist, author, seminar presenter, and president and founder of Speech Dynamics Incorporated. She graduated with her master's degree from Western Michigan University under the tutelage of Dr. Charles Van Riper, the father of articulation therapy. Char began her career in public schools with a caseload of over 110 children. Since then, she worked several years in the public schools, as well as her own private practice, where she treated speech disorders and myofunctional cases of all ages. She was among several early therapists to earn her certification in orofacial myology from the IOM. One of the founders of IOM, Dr. Marf Hansen, was her mentor in myofunctional therapy. In addition, she was an assistant professor and department chair of the speech pathology and audiology department at Loma Linda University. Her interest in creating effective therapy techniques has evolved into the development of several practical videos, articles, and publications, such as SwallowWorks, the myofunctional evaluation, demystify the tongue tie, and the EZR. Shar is very involved in SpeechTherapyPD.com and has provided a wealth of information to this platform. You can listen to her SpeechLink podcast. She's been featured on the First Bite podcast and has brought SpeechTherapyPD.com several courses, including Creative Language Therapy, Systematic Instruction for Language-Related Children, Complete R Remediation Therapy, Five Super Sound Stem Strategies, The Perfect Oral Motor Storm, and so many others. And now you get to be on the Making Sense of Mile podcast. Welcome, Shar. Thank you. Yes, it's great to be here with you, Maddie. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited to have you and have you share on some practical tips. I know that your myovaluation text and your SolarWorks text were so helpful to me whenever I was starting off on my myofunctional journey, and I still reference them pretty frequently. (laughs) So we'll jump in and get started. To begin, what do you think are a few of the foundational pieces in our field as to why myofunctional therapy is misunderstood? Well, I tell you, I have studied that for many years. You and I have talked about 
the perfect oral motor storm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that took several years to kind of pull together. And it's by podcast on Speech Therapy PD. And it's also on my website and sounds like a commercial, but it isn't. It's totally free. But since that time, I've continued to dig. And there's something that I've discovered that was and is right in front of all of our faces. And it's like, why didn't I realize this before? And so it's something that I'd like to share tonight. And that that kind of does, it scratches the surface, but I think it sort of seeps down even below that. And it has to do with our basic fundamental paradigm, our belief of working with speech sounds. And our paradigm at the very foundation, you can find at asha.org, you know, within the practice portal. And I bet a lot of people have been to the practice portal. It's under clinical topics and articulation and phonology. And if you go there, and it's still there right now, and it's a series of circles, okay, but it identifies functional and organic. And those two terms have kind of been influential through the years, Mm -hmm. and I think has kind of held us back from growing into other things and looking at other possibilities. And so you have the functional piece, and I actually have it here, but the functional piece, apparently, for speech, there's no known cause. And so if you are doing therapy with a person and you have no known cause, then you only do, you know, sound stimulation, or you do minimal word pairs or maximal word pairs or something along those lines, because there's absolutely no other known cause. There's nothing wrong with their muscles. There's nothing wrong with their craniofacial oral respiratory systems. There's nothing wrong there. And so you just do the sound stem and all of the other things from a more auditory standpoint. So phonological piece, auditory standpoint cognitive, language, and so on. Nothing is wrong with the oral mechanism. So there is that assumption. It's And then the other assumption is the organic piece. And ASHA recognizes that. You have motor neurological, and it breaks it down into dysarthria or apraxia, and that's mm-hmm. it. And then you have structural, and their, their idea of structural is cleft lip, cleft palate. And then you have sensory perceptual of just a hearing impairment. Nothing is said there about intraoral somatosensory issues or intraoral sensory perception, nothing about that at all. It's all, and if you look at any article, and I'm gonna say almost any article that is publicized by ASHA, and they talk about the sensory piece of speech, and it's all focused on the auditory sensory piece which is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to interject here. You know, the mouth interacts with itself and the form of interaction is really proprioceptive and tactile, but we sort of skirt that. And mm-hmm. But you have other places around the world that are really doing some great research. Down in Brazil, there's some good things going on. In Italy, there's good things going on. In Sweden, in Japan, they're really focusing on that somatosensory piece, intraoral piece. There's some really good research. But here in America, no, we just stick with this model. And so, you know, if you read any of the literature and the concerns that people were, you know, talking about in 2008, 
2014, 2015, and even now, they talk about, well, why would you work with the muscles when it's just functional? You only Mm -hmm. work with the muscles if it's organic, if you have something, you know, like it's CP or something along those lines. It's been identified. If it's functional, why do you work with it? And that comes from, at this point in time, from the label speech sound disorders. You know, I look in the portable and there's nothing on articulation, just this, but everything pretty much today, because, you know, like education, like medicine, like psychology, you know, speech pathology is trendy. (laughs) Okay. And where we're at today is speech sound disorders, the sound of the sound. And so I have read in these articles time and time again, the ones that had concern for working with the mouth, okay, you know, they would say something like, well, um, you know, why would you work with the muscles? There's, you know, it's just, and you cannot break down a sound. And so if I say, you can't break that down, you can't parse that. And so it's the lowest common denominator. And so we have to provide the auditory piece in one way or another, okay? Because we're coming from functional and organic. And myofunctional, which really looks at craniofacial bone growth and oral hard tissue, soft tissue, and all the things that go with it, even self-imposed like thumb sucking or mm-hmm. you know sucking on a pacifier too long and how that influences the mouth and potentially craniofacial bone growth, the respiratory system and all of those things. And I call the, the mouth and the function, speaking, chewing, swallowing, all of those things is right com- is comprised of a crossroads of disciplines. I'm going to say it's the most complex function and complex body part, okay, that we have. Because the mouth is the only part that interacts with itself. It's the only part that interacts. I mean, you can blink your eyes, you can twiddle your thumbs, but the mouth interacts with itself. So it's unique. Mm. That is so interesting. I've never kind of put that together, but it is so true. It's the tongue interacting with the teeth or the lips working together or the teeth and the lips. And yeah. And then just the coordination of how all that flows together with airflow and voicing paired in. That's yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, it's, it's how we have looked at now, here's another dimension that I want to add. And so, you know, if anybody goes to that portal and looks at it, those are the things that's what you're going to see there. Okay. Then I want to also share with you, staying on this just for another minute or two or three. Mm-hmm. You know, I love buying old speech language pathology books. Okay. I love buying. And so I have a whole library of them. You probably have never heard of the Travis Handbook of Speech Language Pathology. I bet you and I bet a lot of people haven't. You know, people my age have but I actually have it here. And I'm just going to show it to you. Okay. What I want you to see is, I mean, this thing is like heavy. Okay. It's handbook of speech pathology and audiology. This is the handbook. Now this was written, it was published in 1971. Okay. It was like the beginning and the end of everything that you need to know about speech language pathology. Wow. Okay. And audiology. Now, they wrote this one. This was the handbook of speech pathology. 
This was 1957. And the only difference is that they added the audiology piece in 1971. Okay. It also is huge. Yeah. Right? There is a chapter in there on speech and malocclusions. <laughs> interesting. Okay. You so wouldn't see it anything right now. Yeah. Now, Joni said that she has that Travis handbook. <laughs> so one really? of our attendees does oh, have good. it. That's oh, so good. Interesting. Yay, Joni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and a lot of it, I'm going to say probably 80% at least is still relevant. It's not like mm. the mouth is going to change a whole lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are things, research and things that we do and we'll refine, you know, what we think of speech or what we think of the mouth or, you know, the whole you know, functional system, but the mouth isn't going to change a whole lot. You know, in this handbook, there's a chapter, chapter 33, and it was written by a lady named Margaret Hall Powers. And I'm just going to share a little bit of this because it, it gives history. The point that I want to make is, okay, this was 1957 and they talk about functional and organic. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're still there. We haven't moved off of that dime. And so that's the lens that we continue to view speech and oral functions. You know, I have this piece, you know, pulled up here, mm -hmm. the term functional, and this is according to Margaret Hall Powers in the Travis handbook originated from the field of medicine. And we get a lot of information, a lot of terminology, evidence-based practices from medicine. Okay. That's why you have the three things and why that one, like, you know, look at the client and, you know, ask the client what they want and all of that. That's why that really doesn't fit. Okay. Because we got that from the medical field. Okay. So it originated in the field of medicine. It was adopted widely in speech language pathology. And the term functional, she says, is synonymous with non-organic, and some refer to functional as non-structural. Mm -hmm. And that was our foundation, and we haven't let go of that. We haven't let go of that. So I think that a lot of it is just our fundamental paradigm, and that is such a mindset and especially our researchers and a lot of individuals that just don't do therapy. And maybe they don't realize that, hey, even if I'm doing minimal word pairs or something in that in that family, that I still have to do something that directs the mouth as to what to do. And that's why a lot of people are looking at, at place, manner, voice. Because that's something physiological. So another thing mm -hmm. that I want to say about this is, you know, the whole field was really focused on phonetic, the phonetic piece of the oral mechanism, meaning the articulation and, you know, the mouth is kind of the source of speech, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we focused on that until and through the 70s, okay, late 70s, the whole phonological auditory cognitive language piece started coming in, in the late 70s, 80s, it was big time pushed, okay, and it has never swung back, okay, so that's one reason, and you look at myofunctional, and the whole concept of Ooh, it's just, it really focuses on the mouth and what's going on and, and different things that can impede speech production, which I think is a really good thing. And I think within that functional piece, we need to add some of those things.
mm-hmm. you know, and yet as a field and as researchers and professors, they don't look at it that way. And they are training our new speech language pathologists. And unless yeah. you go to or you you attend your podcast or maybe something that I've done, or there's a lot of other people that are still trying to involve the mouth, unless you do that, you're not going to get that piece. Mm-hmm. And especially since, you know, 2007, 2008, there was such a, a brouhaha of, you know, oh, don't touch the mouth. <laughs> we don't want to do right. that. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm a speech yeah. language pathologist. Thank you. <laughs> so I, at any rate, that's my that's my two cents, you know, kind of just to mm-hmm. sort of touch upon it. And I've really focused on the mouth to try and kind of counteract, but I'm not opposed, you know, to doing phonological therapy. Why would I be? If it works, then do it. Right. And I think that also goes down to like one of the things that I've really come to learn as a clinician is that not every patient in front of me is a myofunctional patient, but it's a tool for differential diagnosis. Do they need a phonological approach or are they having a placement issue or is there an overlap? Because <laughs> that happens too. I just want to touch on something really quick. I think it was really interesting when we were talking about the functional versus organic, that that structural and sensory piece goes so much further beyond what we're currently looking at. Like structure can be more than cleft palate. Like you said, they were talking about malocclusion and speech production in the fifties. It's not anything new, but we know about it. And then just talking about that proprioceptive and tactile sensory awareness, you know, we can pull that from our occupational therapy fields that we have those sensory systems in all other parts of our bodies. Why would that not also exist in our mouth? And so, yeah. I just wanted to kind of touch on that because I think that's really interesting. And I graduated in 2020 and we looked at this and we learned about it, but it kind of stumped me whenever we stopped at like a very significant structural problem. We got, you know, a very basic oral mech exam and you don't do anything. If they have a speech sound disorder, you just work on the sound. That's all just the sound. And I had a hard time with that after graduating. It didn't make sense. <laughs> and that's kind of how I stumbled into my own. But yeah, that was fabulous. Yeah. Well, you know, we really need to focus on what's going on with the person. And that's why, yes. I, you know, I call my type of therapy, I guess, you know, and I can probably do that because I've been refining it over the past 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I call it capability-based therapy. And, you know, if you look at what capability means, you can have incapabilities, you know, in either in the mouth or cognitive or in how the person is hearing it. And so I want to address the capability of that individual and enhance their capability and then put it all together. You know, this whole piece of of dividing up either it's phonetic therapy or phonological therapy, I think is unfortunate because you know, you have this issue that we've sort of divided the baby. And if you look at speech, and, and we've we've divided it based on articulation and speech sound therapy. Mm-hmm. And so we've divided it. And if I could interject and say, hey, if I could just snap my fingers and change that reference to either articulation or speech sound therapy, I would call it speech production disorders or speech production delay or speech production therapy. Mm. Because 
I want to look at speech production. I want to look at the auditory piece, the cognitive piece, the oral, craniofacial, oral, respiratory piece, everything that goes into speech production. And I think, you know, if we kind of looked at it from that perspective, it would open us up to really take a better look at Mm -hmm. what's going on with the individuals that we're working with. So right now, we're still just kind of categorized, you know, and we like to do that. And it makes us feel good that, hey, we're just, the thing is, and I have always taken exception to, I'm going to make my therapy plan. Well, (laughs) you know, I, I need to know you know, a variety of options of, of therapy methods and, uh, and strategies and so on. But I need to fit what I know into what that individual needs. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times I remember I would, and especially when I was a student, I would have my plan and then, (laughs) you know, it didn't fit with what the kid wanted Mm -hmm. to do or needed to do. So I like to be armed (laughs) and relatively dangerous, but I want to be armed with whatever that individual needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that is being a quality therapy and then be able to see and then put it to use an application. Mm. I love that. And that's really what, you know, we should be like, I mean, that's also part of evidence-based care, like the client's input and values, but I feel like that also includes the client's needs, their deficits. What are they needing to improve? And are we able to individualize our treatment plan to those deficits? Because every person on your caseload is going to present differently. They absolutely do. Yeah, definitely. So can you kind of talk about, um, is there ever an overlap between phonological and articulation disorders where a motor approach and a linguistic approach are both needed? Of course. And that's kind of where I was headed. Mm-hmm. You know, s- speech is is a combination of many different things. And I actually, I, there is a researcher back in my day, Mark <laughs> Fay, Dr. Mark Fay, and he was actually from Canada. And then he ended up, I think, at a university in Kansas somewhere. And I always liked his research and what he did and why he did it. And it was more practical. And he looked at things pragmatically. And so I found an article, and it was a 1992 article, so about 31 years ago, that Dr. Fay wrote this. And I want to read part of this because I knew that you're going to ask me this. Mm-hmm. And so there was a time when we were, as I said, focused on the oral sensory motor piece. Okay. And then we just transitioned away from that into the purely phonological piece, purely the speech sound. And then that was it. Okay. But there was a transition and that transition happened really in the eighties and early nineties. And so this was an article that was written by Dr. Fay in 1992, and it's called articulation and phonology inextricable means. And I looked this up. I want to know the exact definition (laughs) impossible to disentangle or Mm. separate. Okay. So I want to read this a little bit, if that's okay. Absolutely. He says, for many speech-language pathologists, the application of the concepts of phonology to the assessment and treatment of phonologically disordered children has produced more confusion than clinical assistance. Now, this is in, in 1992. At least part of this confusion seems to be due to the expectation that, since new terms are being used, New clinical techniques should differ 
radically from the old ones. The basic intent of this paper is to show that adopting a phonological approach to dealing with speech sound disorders, and that was a new one, does not necessitate a rejection of the well-established principles underlying traditional approaches to articulation disorders. He says, to the contrary, articulation must be recognized as a critical aspect of speech sound development under any theory. And so I'm going to say in the early 90s, there were some researchers and professors that were trying to say to drag articulation along and say, don't forget the source of speech. Movement is the source of speech. The mouth is the source of speech. Let's not forget that. And and yet we did. <laughs> we did. So we're right now we're fully into phonological. And mm-hmm. then you have the myofunctional people that are coming in and really legitimately saying, hey, here's some things that we can do legitimately from an oral perspective. Now, I'd like to kind of jump into those three things that I promised. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got those three things, you know, the essential components to speaking and swallowing. And so I want to jump into that. Is that okay, Maddie? I just have one question. You were kind of on this whole wave and it seems really, have you heard of the the whole language and versus like the science of reading? And so it was like, I think in the seventies or eighties, there was this rise where they stopped teaching phonetics and just started being like, we just have to teach them to enjoy it. I was in the schools and whole language and I can tell you all about whole language. Is there, yeah. it almost seems like there's this overlap between switching, like with whole language coming up and then like this same like emphasis on phonology and decrease of like the speech sound kind of happening all kind of jumbled together almost like it's, I don't know, just very similar timelines hearing you break it down. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It was unfortunate because whole language did not work out. Right. I mean, not at all. And and thankfully there's a swing back to looking at phonics mm-hmm. and so on. But same with um, speech, we've had like this swing back with like myofunctional therapy and looking at like the the science behind how do we make a sound? It's not just what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you look at all the reading literature, it seems like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe we should just land on something that works and mm-hmm. stick there. I'm kind of there with speech. You know, mm-hmm. let's just land on what works. Okay. Mm-hmm. But instead, again, it's kind of trendy. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to... No, 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 that's just squirrel. Okay. I just thought it was yeah. an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The whole language thing, and I and I remember. And what happened was that there were whole language schools, mm-hmm. and there was no demarcation in rooms. You know, there was like everybody just kind of how we had a classroom over here. It was just big rooms. You know, that classroom over here, and a classroom over there, and everybody was interacting and whatever. And it was a mess. And you know, kids needed specifics. Mm-hmm. They needed the phonics and the phonetics and so on, but. You know, and so, you know, it kind of went through that and it's unfortunate. And there's a lot of people that just have difficulty reading today because they went through the whole language piece. Right. So, yeah, it's too bad, but I guess we learned what doesn't work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to jump into this. We have about a half hour here or less. I want to just talk specifics. Okay. And, you know, if we had really addressed some of these things from my perspective, then I don't know as if we would be in this model. Okay, Mm -hmm. because what I talk about has been around a long time. You know, I talk about lateral bracing, the sides of the tongue bracing, you know, itself 
on the sides of the teeth for most of the sounds that we that we say. And you know, I'm still doing research and so on. And I and I'm doing some research right now because I'm doing a course at the end of December on sound stimulation. I found I found a book that I think it's a 1921 or 1929 where they were doing palatography and they were talking about the sides of the tongue. You know, they didn't use the term bracing, but just anchoring the insides of the top back teeth. Okay. And that was like a century ago. And <laughs> you still, you still don't hear about it, you know? So, and there's other things here that I'd kind of like to bring up, but mm-hmm. that's one of the biggies. So the first thing, you know, that I really want to address here is that all movement, all movement comes from two concepts, two words stabilization and mobilization. Everything. I don't care if you're dancing. I don't care if you're shushing down the ski slope. I don't care if you're writing, if you're speaking, if you're swallowing. You have to have points of stabilization in order to give the mobilization piece or pieces control. Bottom line. Are you taking advantage of our new amazing feature, the Certificate Tracker? The free CE Tracker allows you to keep track of all of your CEUs, whether they are earned with us at speechtherapypd.com or through another provider. Simply upload your certificate to your registered account and you're all set. So come join the fastest growing CE provider, speechtherapypd.com. And, you know, this principle has been around for a long time. And I got that basic principle from whole body movement books. Yes. You know, they've been talking about it. And if you look at the 2017 really good journal article by JICK, G-I-C-K, and I actually wrote a Therapy Matters blog on it, and I think it's number seven. And he did, he wrote a very brief, but really good article called Speaking tongues are always braced, which means the tongue, the sides of the tongue are touching the insides of the top back teeth to one degree or another, okay, during speaking. And I'm talking consonants. I'm talking high front vowels and high back vowels, not low fronts and low backs, but high fronts, high back vowels, that lingual consonants, almost all of them have some level of lateral bracing, period. Well, wouldn't it be really good to add that, (laughs) that piece to, you know, if you're talking about placement, hey, Mm -hmm. that would give them, just stroke the sides of the tongue and the perimeter of the palate and say, hey, get your tongue up there, okay, Mm -hmm. if they can. Now, there may be issues where they can't, okay? But, and, and then that's kind of a nice thing for you to discover because then there's other things that you can do prior to that to get the tongue up there. But just that piece of of knowledge, I call it components of speech production. And that is a really important component is stabilization. Now, what I just described is external stabilization, sides of the tongue on the sides of the teeth to one degree or another. And I put it that way because if you're making an mm, you're going to have full surface to surface contact, sides of the tongue on the sides of the mm-hmm. teeth. If you're making a t or a d, you're going to have a little bit less. If you're making a s, 
and a z, little bit less. Going to have less because you're going to have more of the front part of the tongue lowering to allow more air to flow through, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for gutten er, you're going to have stabilization on the back quote corners of the tongue while the mid portion of the tongue moves. And another important point is that you've got to have for speaking. Okay, and I'm going to get to swallowing here. But for speaking, you've got to have stabilization, the point, points of stabilization near the moving part, near the moving part. It's very much like writing. You mm -hmm. have your pencil in hand, you're anchored on the table, and you write. So you have your stabilization, mobilization. I am not stabilizing up here with my shoulder. I, am st I have stabilization near the moving part. And the smaller the movement, and speech is very small, mm -hmm. okay, swallowing isn't, <laughs> okay? Swallowing, you know, I, I kind of envision swallowing. You have your combat boots on and you're walking through tires, <laughs> you know? That's swallowing, okay? It's bigger movements. Not speech, you're on ballet slippers. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're what is that when you're doing your towing, okay, whatever? Uh-huh. It's just, it's, Little, little bitty movements, and they have to be because you got to fit them all in co-articulated speech. So you've got to have small movements. And in order to do that, you've got to have good stabilization. Now I'm talking about external stabilization, okay? External stabilization. There's also internal stabilization, okay? Just from a larger standpoint, think of a TH. You have minimal external stabilization with a TH. But have you ever tried to teach a floppy tongue to make a good TH? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not going to work. So TH, you have to have good internal stabilization. Okay. It's just different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now also you have refined internal stabilization of looking at your refinement is here in the middle of your tongue, where when this part of your tongue tightens, that enables the front part of your tongue to move or to sustain in space, like for an S or an SH. So you have external stabilization, you have internal stabilization, which allows when you contract that mid tongue, mm -hmm. that is what gives you controlled front tongue vertical movements. Okay, your external and your internal. Mm. All right, gotta have it. Got to have it. I mean, that stabilization piece is what gives you controlled mobilization. And so, if we look at, you know, place, matter, voice, that just kind of like, you know, maybe it focuses with the front part of the tongue for an S, and we don't even think about what's going on with the rest of the tongue, which is unfortunate. Because there's a lot of things going on with the rest of the tongue that is enabling the front part to move and interact or lower and sustain itself in space while air is moving through. Let me give you kind of an interesting little factor mm -hmm. or factoid or something. All fricatives are spatial. Every single one of them requires the individual to set up a close in close proximity with an opposing articulator and hold that position while air moves. It's the exact opposite of plosives. You can move in a big way, but if I'm doing 
you can't really fudge on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can fudge if you're doing a, a frontal. Uh-huh. Okay. But for fricatives, they're all spatial. You set up a space and you have to sustain that position while air courses through. Now, how are you going to do that if you don't have stabilization? Mm-hmm. And you want to be stabilizationed up the hilt externally and internally. And that's what gives you the capability to generate the mobility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotta have it. Can I ask you a question about a frontal list patient I have? <laughs> he has such great intrinsic and extrinsic motor function. Um, so for people listening, extrinsic is going to be like how the tongue can like move in and out of the mouth, side to side, those kind of like more like gross movements of the tongue and the intrinsic are how can they shape the tongue. So he has like a really good like bowl and a taco and he can do a really great suction and point his tongue and hold it up off his teeth. But then as soon as we go into speech for an S, he we worked on like T placement, not stretchy T, and he can do it in very structured. But then whenever he it's it's tricky for him. But what I noticed today is he has this kind of like fat tongue. Like it just kind of looks fat whenever it sneaks forward. And so that's that him not having that stabilization from the intrinsic muscles. If it's that kind of like fat and just kind of sneaking forward, is that kind of where does right? he rest his tongue? Um, uh, we're working on habituating rest posture and it's up. Good. He's reporting good resting posture. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah. And you want to check that. Yes. So <laughs> we do. We report it. Yeah. In the therapy room, he's he's showing good rest posture. Good. And, he's and then reporting outside. it's good outside. Um, okay. And working on doing tongue checks with mom and things like that. So, and doing what? Tongue. We, I call them tongue checks where they're like kind of like sitting in the car or something and they might like have them like see where the tongue is resting or check in with them and see how they are. That's just the therapy name I use for them. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. And see, and that the ex, you you use the extrinsic muscles and the intrinsic muscles, mm-hmm. and and the extrinsics is really what's going to pull the whole tongue back and elevate. And you know, the next thing that I was going to actually talk about, this is a really good segue, and I'll address what you're saying here with this piece, is that there is you know because we just covered stabilization mobilization. Mm-hmm. I want to move into next that. The tongue has, and I need to to talk about stabilization, mobilization for swallowing. So don't let me get away without doing that. But the next one is that the tongue has an operating zone. Mm. There's an operating zone. It's up within the dental arch is where most speech sounds uh, are produced. And I call that with with my kids that that's the speech neighborhood because you can access Mm, sh, sh, you know, mm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, k- k- mm, er, yeah that's, that's your speech neighborhood. And then you can zip down here for your TH. Okay. Mm-hmm. But your speech neighborhood is up within the dental arch. And when you address that, and that really is an extrinsic thing, the whole right. thing has to, you know, if the tongue is low mm-hmm. and forward, it has to retract, not just the front, okay, because that's right. what they want to do, but the whole thing needs to retract and then needs to go up. And to solidify that op- new operating zone, and there's a lot of our kids, their tongue is in a lowered position or a low forward position. And I see both of those things as being kind of separate. I mean, they overlap. It's kind of a Venn diagram, but you, you have down which is kind of a gravity thing. And then you have down and forward. 
And when I see the forward, I'm like, why are they doing that? Are there large tonsils in a small space and they can't retract their tongue, you know, because they kind of want to breathe and it might, you know, kind of cut off the breathing piece. Mm -hmm. And so their tongue is more forward or is their jaw lowered and it's kind of dumping forward. So why is all of that happening? So I want to look at that operating zone. And so that to me is kind of what you're talking about Mm -hmm. to a degree. And also to really get to that consistency of that operating zone so that you can generate your external stabilization Uh and your internal stabilization and interact with the alveolar ridge and the hard palate and zip back Mm -hmm. and with your soft palate area, the velum and so on. You're in that zone. And so that you can do that, that is why we do, and this is the third thing, or that's why it's important to do the oral resting postures. Mm -hmm. Because it helps them to generate consistency of that operating zone so that you can generate your stabilization and mobilization. It all works together. I mean, it's super important. And so Mm -hmm. I would really say, you know, for your client, I would just make sure that zonal (laughs) pieces is in there and that their tongue is is in the, the desired position for their oral structure. Mm -hmm. I think you are absolutely right. I was talking to him today and for some reason I was so focused on like, oh, what's the intrinsic muscle function? How is that doing that? I didn't even listen to my client when I was like, okay, can you tell me what are you feeling the difference to be between whenever you produce your S between your teeth and whenever we have it behind your teeth? And he goes, my tongue pulls back. He told me what we need to work on in my session today. <laughs> I was just so caught up <laughs> in what him. I thought was right <laughs> that I good didn't. Him. I know he's a good for great him. kiddo. Yeah, um, yeah, he's so going to yeah. be a speech therapist when he grows up. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, that's know. excellent. Well, and you know, this resting posture piece. You know, a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't know. I don't want to have to take time to do that." That is a huge piece of carryover. Yes, it's a huge piece of carryover. You know, you can you can get somebody that has, you know, can can produce a good, you know, speech sound or sounds, no matter what technique or methodology that you're using to get there. If it sounds good, but they don't have the stabilization mobilization that they need. Okay. And because that, you know, and, and I get back to Jick's article, you know, that that speaking, you know, that, that conversational speech, you always have that lateral bracing. It's there during most of our conversation. So I'm looking at the stabilization, mobilization of individual speech sounds because that's what's needed during connected speech. And so if I don't address that, and if the person doesn't have this automaticity of the tongue going back you know you talk 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 and then when you stop it goes up there lips are closed and all of that you know and you go back to that position and you're at the ready for the next round of speech you know if if during their non-speaking time if the tongue is down and you know lips can be open or lips can be closed but your tongue can be down you know obviously if the lips are open the tongue is down but if the lips are closed Tongue can be down as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just because lips are closed, don't trust the tongue, right. you know. 
So, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that they're at the ready. They're in that optimum position for the stabilization, the optimum stabilization and mobilization. And so that's, that's what I call building the capability and really taking a, a deep introspection into the components of speech production, going beyond the sound of the sound. Now, some kids can get it. Here, say this sound, and they'll figure it out. Some kids get it after figuring it out for about two years, <laughs> you know, and that's when the kid and the speech language pathologist becomes very frustrated. Okay. And, but if I'm pointing these things out, you know, and you said something really important, you know, about 10, 15 minutes ago, and I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, stop you on it, but you were talking about the intraoral sensory piece. Mm -hmm. And I'd really love for everyone to think of speech therapy as being a sensational task. Everything that we do to try and impact that person to produce that sound. Because we're over here, they're over there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And everything that we do is sensation. Mm -hmm. Here, honey, look at your mouth. Here, honey, look at my mouth. Look at the mouth model. Okay. That's all visual sensation. Yep. Auditory. Here, say this sound, er, er, or say this sound, shh, or say this sound. That's the auditory sensory piece. I'm big on adding to that, adding the tactile and the proprioceptive piece. The tactile being, I'm going to get in there, you know, like with even just a tongue depressor and stroking the sides of the tongue mm -hmm. and the perimeter of the palate and saying, here, put your tongue there. Um, that's a tactile sensory indicator. So mm -hmm. all you're doing is adding to your sensory input in trying to impact the production of a speech sound or impact the, the swallowing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that, that just kind of opens up the therapy piece, you know, of, you know, what form of sensory input can I do to try and impact this person? Okay. You know, what form of, of auditory, what form, you know, am I going to get on the floor and I'm going to get right by their ear and I'm going to say the sound, or am I going to use some sort of an auditory device? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I've done something called mind matching for years where, you know, I have them close their eyes and I'll say the sound or say, you know, with the sound of the initial position. And I'll say, I just want you to listen to it. And I want you to say that in your mind. So I have them do mm -hmm. mind matching. It's not all of it, but but it, it, that auditory piece is very, very important. I would be the first person to say, don't ignore it, okay? But I don't want to ignore the speech source either. Mm. And so, you know, that sensory piece, it's all, it's all sensory, you know, therapy is, you know, pull out the stops, whatever you have to do to impact them to have a sense <laughs> mm. of what to do. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. So I would just want to add to that. That's all. Yeah. I no. Okay. I love it. Um and then I think proprioception is really interesting and interoception oh, yeah. and so like also how is your patient feeling that within their mouth because 
I feel how my tongue feels and it touches against my alveolar ridge to make a T, D, or an N. I can feel my tongue bracing on the sides of my teeth for ch, inch. Um, and so you, like the patient also has to be aware of their own mouth doing that without additional tactile input as well. So it's just a yeah. whole, we're sensory creatures. <laughs> yes, we um, are. You know, and those articles I was talking about, the somatosensory piece, they talk about tactile and proprioception. And, mm. you know, from a speech language pathologist standpoint, all I know to do to heighten proprioception is have them close their eyes. And I say, send a spy down to your mouth or down to your tongue, whatever we're focused on and focus and feel, mm. focus and feel, focus and mm-hmm. feel, and really focusing on the tactile piece or the movement piece, like when we get the sound, we get it, okay? We have the stabilization, mobilization. I like to first practice it by having them go from resting positions into the speech sound and then back. Oh, I love that. Resting position into the speech sound and back. And Uh that is your first introduction to movement. And because we always go back, as I said, you know, when you're done speaking, you go back to your resting position Mm -hmm. and then you just sort of wait there and idle. And then, you know, when the light changes, you step on the gas and you move your mouth and off you go into speech or whatever. That's also a perfect way to kind of go back and like teach that external stabilization. Here is where you anchor and different parts of your tongue are going to move depending on your speech sound. But this is the general anchor and this being the upper dental arch. Um, Right. Right. So yeah, it's just, it's super important. Um, and that's been around for decades, mm-hmm. <laughs> decades. Um, the part about mid tongue contraction has been around since 1986. And I got that from the physiology literature and, um, you know, so these things have been around and, and everything that I do, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much almost everything that I do is, you know, is in the literature somewhere. Um, and I've just sort of pulled it together, you know, but, um, so I want to, you know, focus on, on swallowing as well. Yes. And swallowing. And, um, you know, I, I love working with swallowing because it's just, it's such a simple, simple function. It just is, it's a simple function. And all it is from my perspective is suction. And so you have interoral suction. Okay. Mm-hmm intraoral section that pulls the contents onto the tongue, either over the front part of the tongue or around the sides. Okay. So you suction and then you have bite. And guess what that piece is? Stabilization. Stabilization. There you go. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. And so you stabilize because Mm -hmm. your whole tongue is going up to the top and you are squeezing and lifting. And so you're doing front middle, back, sort of that rolling stripping. And so having teeth together gives you a solid footing. Somebody is holding the ladder for you. Okay. And so the tongue has to go up to the top and swallow and down. So that tongue is moving vertically, just like speech sounds, which I didn't mention, but all speech except for THs are, is vertical. Mm. All speech sounds are vertical, front tongue, vertical and back tongue, vertical. And you have mid tongue vertical for the yuh. Okay, but speech is vertical. And so I can categorize sounds of front tongue sounds, and all of those, and back tongue sounds, as far as lingual. And I can work on on S and I can work on SH and I can work on CH from the same perspective. Because all we're doing is we're just altering the stabilization and the mobilization just Mm -hmm. a bit. 
Okay. So, you know, I, I, I love the way to categorize the speech. And then also the swallowing piece is just suction, bite, squeeze, lift. Okay. I mean, that's what it is. And the, the difference comes when, oh, am I doing it with just saliva or am I doing it, you know, drinking continuously out of a cup or whatever, or through a straw or just taking a sip is different than continuous. Am I chewing something that's, that's, you know, or am I manipulating pudding or am I chewing meat or do I have a cracker where I'm getting, you know, the, that little bits all over the place. And so I have to really suction, you know, so I think the difference comes with the different types of and consistencies and textures of your food and your liquid. Mm -hmm. And is it coming in from the outside or is it already in there? And so, but it's all suction, bite, squeeze, lift. And so, you know, the direct, I have to be concerned about the direction of pressure you know, rather than horizontal and the tongue at the horizontal midline, I want the whole thing to go up and apply that pretty firm compression and rolling stripping motion Mm -hmm. on the top. And I've got to have good solid footing there. So there's, there's, I'm going to say there's fewer moving parts and the parts are bigger Mm -hmm. um, than the speech. The speech is much more complex and has more moving parts and more options for stabilization, mobilization. Mm-hmm. But I do resting postures for both because your operating zone is up within that upper dental arch for both. What are some ways that you target um, habituation of resting posture and like checking to see if they're doing it during their sessions? Well, just, just kind of like, well, I like to sneak into resting postures and start off with just like, you know, working with, you know, 10 seconds Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then pause and then doing another 10 seconds and then pause. And so I like to look at a short length of time Mm -hmm. with three reps and then, then incrementally over time, increasing that time. And you can ask them, you know, where's your tongue? And say, I want to, you know, I want to see, is it here? Mm-hmm. And if they go, if I, if I say, where's your tongue? And they go, and they take that split <laughs> uh-huh. second, then you're going, oh, it wasn't there. Was it there? Right. Really? Tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Also on some individuals, you can see, here's my tongue. It is down. Mm-hmm. And I'm not pushing it down. Here's pushing. Here's just bloop. Here's For those that. of it though that will just be listening to the audio, um, Char is showing how um, underneath her chin it kind of bulges as the tongue is resting low, and then if she pushes it bulges a little bit more, and then if she raises it, it, it away. is gone. And it's all smooth with no mm-hmm. under the chin bulge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear it's down, mm-hmm. just resting down. So sometimes you can actually see it on individuals if their tongue is down. Not everybody. Mm-hmm. And and especially with kids, because they're a lot of times they're not, you know, still, <laughs> you know, but usually, I mean, you just, and, and, you know, if they come in with lips that are parted, then you're going to have to work on the nasal breathing piece and making sure that there's nothing, you know, not an obstruction there that they can actually breathe comfortably and consistently there. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I find out, but I like to do it incrementally over time. Mm-hmm. Because you know you're focusing on the position of things, and that's different 
than what they've been doing. But you're right. also focusing on the physiology of it. You know, the muscles may get tired. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're also focusing on the psychology, the psychological aspect. Um, because I want their brain to say, yeah, this is feeling good. I can do this. And so mm-hmm. I sort of sneak up behind it and take some time over time to incrementally lengthen the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. I have a book on that. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the key to carry over. And, but it's, it's, it's focusing on resting postures and it takes you through that, that, uh, that process and so on. Yeah. Another one for me to go, another one to add to the collection. <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah. Just, just, just so that, that everybody knows that, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that there is something out there and, and I've written a lot of blogs on it. Um, I think I did a three-part blog on, on my speechdynamics.com website and I call it therapy matters. And so you can go on there and look at the resting posture piece. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of stuff on there. So <laughs> Joni had a question. Do you ever use rubber mouth puppets when you show what the tongue should do? Rubber mouth puppets. Mm-hmm. The one that I like is this. And you can use any of them that you that you you know that you like, but I like this one. Char is showing a giant uh hard mouth model that has like model. the hinges for the, mm-hmm. the back. Yeah. And the, and the, and the individual, this person that you're working with, you mm-hmm. can put your hand in here and show, you know, Hey, here's your tongue now. And Ooh, look, it needs to go up in here, you know, mm-hmm. put it up in here. And so you show how the front fourth to third of the surface of the tongue is on the alveolar ridge and the sides of the tongue. And then they can put their hand tongue mm-hmm. in there as well. And, but any, any visual that you have, that would be a visual. This one, you could add that that proprioceptive piece and tactile mm-hmm. piece with their own hand. And sometimes just that piece is like, oh, okay, yeah. And then they can replicate that better in their own mouth. Oh, and so, how awesome to tie in. So you could like give them the tactile input on the hand up in the mouth model. And then you could immediately say, okay, this part on your hand is this part on your tongue. And you can like make that direct, direct. I can see what's on my hand. I can feel what's on my hand. Let me tie this into, you know, it's a little tricky to see your own tongue. (laughs) Um, So I love that to kind of pair that whole body to the mouth and just like provide that extra layer. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, you know, any form of sensory input that you can mm-hmm. do, you know, the little rubber, the rubber model, and I used to use those. And I know that there's different sizes of those mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that. And we used to carry those, you know, speech dynamics used to carry products and, and I've used them, but, but this type, and it's called the Ajax mouth model. And, and it's not on, it used to be on Amazon. I haven't checked recently. Maybe it's back, but it's, it it's, yeah, just Ajax mouth model, A-J-A-X. And it's in, it's another website and I forget what that website is, but, um, and it used to be really reasonably priced. Let's see. Oh. I'll share the Amazon link. It is currently unavailable on Amazon, but let me see if yeah. this other. I would just Google Ajax mouth model. Ajaxscientific.com. Yeah. There you go. That's it. That's yep. it. Yeah, it's the one that comes with the green big toothbrush. Uh-huh. I use this all the time in my practice. We even have like tape on the back lateral 
on the, the upper molar so we can show them like this is where we brace our tongue we use it oh, for showing them like the yeah, alveolar cool. ridge i love it i love it yeah also really great for feeding therapy letting your picky eaters like crunch up food in between it like, yes that's been a big hit <laughs> yes um, good i love it yeah good 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 and then Joni, i do use the rubber mouth puppet in my clinic along with the Ajax model. I like to use it for showing like the tongue tip and where it goes. And sometimes I'll try to manipulate the sides of the tongue to show them like, this is what the tongue is going to look like, but it can get a little tricky sometimes with that rubber tongue. <laughs> Ours is a little small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but whatever so yeah. works, whatever works, mm-hmm. um, whatever you have in your yeah. clinic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. Yes. Any other questions, comments at all? Let's, Let's see. see. We had from Lori and the new version of whole language is going around again in schools with mm-hmm. adverse impact, especially after the pandemic. Oh, oh. I didn't know that, that it was back. I know. Who I hate that. Back? <laughs> I know. I mean, I they... love the language piece, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think any there was any, questions? I have one. Do you think that there was being in the whole wave of all of it, do you think there was any overlap in the rise of the whole language and the phonological approach? Or was that just me picking at straws? <laughs> Maybe it was because, yeah. um, you know, it, because the whole language got away from, um, you know, the phonics piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The, the you know, the phonology has um, taken hold. And, mm-hmm. and 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 I've read some really successful research articles, <clears throat> but most of the time they're younger children, and mm-hmm. I think it's that you know doing phonological approaches with the young kids is just really excellent, coupled with the whole idea of here's your mouth, honey, <laughs> right? And I know that that's been frowned on and whatever, but if you think about it. You know, if you're teaching a child to color whatever they can see their hand, they can immediately see the result. But you can't see your mouth. Mm-mm. You know, you cannot see your mouth. You know, the only way is to put a mirror in front of you. Right. So you are totally just, you know, at any given moment in time, you are relegated to tactile proprioceptive input with right. your mouth. And so there's a lot of young ones that have no clue that that there's anything, you know, other than just the head. Mm-hmm. And so we want to differentiate and say, hey, you got a mouth and you got some other mouth parts in there. So, you know, I think, you know, just, you know, looking at that whole sensory input, you know, mm-hmm. with smaller children and then coupling that with the phonological piece, I think that's just a really ideal yeah. thing to do. Absolutely. I 100% agree, Shar. It's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, well, I don't think we had any more questions come in, um, okay. but I thank you so much for your time this evening for coming on the podcast. Um, okay. I learned so much from you this evening. You gave me a lot of good ideas for um, therapy. Lori said, thank you for the reminder of what I've practiced for 30 years. You tied it together amazingly. Um, <laughs> Hi, Lori. I haven't good. practiced for quite that long, but I agree. And I know that this is going to be an even better place to launch me forward in my career. <laughs> um, good. Good, good. Well, great. Well, it's been my pleasure and it's just totally fun to talk with you and and share information. And, you know, and, and this is, mm-hmm. as we were just saying before, this is probably just our favorite topic. Crazy, oh, isn't for it? For sure. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, my absolute totally favorite. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, totally. Um, well, thank you. We will look forward to seeing you again. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.
you for joining us for today's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you are part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to reflect on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.